broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Capital Club Radio, brought to you by Flock Specialty Finance. Hello and welcome to another episode of Capital Club Radio. Today is December the 22nd, 2015. I'm producer and engineer here today, Ryan Redhawk McPherson. And before we get started, just want to tell you about Capital Club Radio. It provides listeners an opportunity to gain valuable business insights and perspectives to deal with market uncertainty. And the only one who can bring that to you is the host today of Capital Club Radio, the charismatic Michael Flock. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. And it's great to be here this afternoon. Uh, we are absolutely thrilled to to uh, have Stacy Schachter as our guest today and I want to disclose that uh, Stacy was one of my first mentors in the uh, the debt buying industry um, before I before I get into my story though about Stacy let me just introduce him as the current president and CEO of Vion Investments which uh, manages the acquisition and collection of consumer and commercial debt uh, since 1990, Stacy has focused on receivable buying, servicing, and collections in the financial services uh, industry, serving as president and chief executive officer of Brianico Investments. He was also president of OSI Portfolio Services and president and chief executive officer and chief legal officer of EMCC. Uh, that's when I first met Stacy, in fact. Uh, and he's also an attorney and advisor to several debt and receivable purchasing firms. It's also interesting to note that uh, he's a member of the Ohio and Massachusetts Bar and is authorized to practice before the U.S. Supreme Court. Ooh, but never have. Never have. <laughs> well, let me just start with my story about uh, Stacy and how I met Stacy, which was actually, I think, 14 years ago, 2001. I had recently left Dun & Bradstreet, and I had a lead for a very big portfolio of performing uh, receivables from Gateway Computer. I knew nothing about marketing, uh, brokering, underwriting, uh, debt business then, debt portfolio business then. And Bob Morris, my good friend, founder of Oliphant, uh, had introduced me to Stacy as one of several uh, investors that we were talking about uh, relative to that very large transaction of Gateway. And so Stacy helped us syndicate that. And that was kind of my baptism into the debt buying industry. And uh, Stacy is one of the thought leaders and kind of our community here at Flock Specialty Finance. And we want to keep in touch with Stacy. He's really migrated substantially from the charged off debt world into the performing markets, which I think he views as really the future uh, for a lot of the, you know, financing of consumer and commercial debt. So Stacy, could you kind of, first, any comments on way back when, when we met there in that deal, and then lessons learned that uh, on that for the future of uh, you and Bion? Yeah, I think we were both a little better looking back then. <laughs> Definitely um, thinner. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You, you talked about me mentoring uh, you, which uh, is very flattering, by the way. Thank you. And uh, going back to those days of EMCC, uh, one of my mentors back then was a name that uh, several people that listen to your show will know, and that, that name is Arthur Levine. Uh, I, I don't remember if you actually got a chance no, to meet I met Arthur. Arthur. He, yeah, he, yeah qu qu quite a character. Uh, some people would say he was um, um, difficult. Very imposing. Yes, a very imposing a guy. Presence, yeah. Uh, I have some uh, great stories about Arthur, but uh, we worked together over 17 years, and he would sort of chew through people from time to time. But we, we had a very good relationship, and, and maybe it's because I started off just being his attorney and advisor before actually joining with him as, as a partner in, in the business, which was actually owned by the Schottenstein family. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but go- going back to that that time of Gateway, uh, it was sort of an age where partnerships were becoming more common in the uh, in that particular industry. And uh, I think this is all pretty much common knowledge. There was uh, we had uh, Carval involved in Bardet and Greenwich and Asta and, and people behind the scenes, even from that to do that particular transaction it was a, a fairly large transaction. But coming back to something you said before about transitioning from both the you know, non-performing to the performing, I sort of want to point out to you that back then when you and I first met, that was a performing portfolio. Correct. And, and I've always felt that that is the nature of the, you know, th- that's where the real opportunity in the business is and always has been is in the performing side of things. And we, we did the non-performing because when we were buying portfolios, we were buying everything. Mm-hmm. So we got the good and we got the bad and we built platforms to handle both. And then as the debt purchasing market began to take off, that really became a focus for companies like OSI, where, where I ended up at, at for some time. And uh, that business, as we all know, had its heyday. And, and now, uh, I don't want to say is in decline, but it's certainly very different business than it was, let's say, before the CFPB mm-hmm. and, and the financial crisis. So, uh, you know, a lot has happened. I have certainly have seen a lot. And there's some stories I'm, I'm going to have to tell you during the show at some point about uh, Arthur but Arthur was certainly a, 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 a great, mentor. Yeah, definitely a mentor of mine. And and while I don't want to think that I emulate um, his particular management style, uh, I still have a wonderful to say, to say things about his ability to negotiate. And really, I think one of the things I learned most from him is negotiation. How to sit down with people and figure out how to get a deal done when it doesn't look like there's an opportunity to get a deal done with sometimes different or unusual types of structures. Well, let's expand on that because uh, different and unusual types of structures to me are critical to bringing two parties together to find a financing solution. And I know you've had great experience and expertise in that. Could you kind of expand on how you do that when you get into one of these transactions? Well, a lot of people think that the highest price is often just how much cash can you pay up front for a transaction. Mm -hmm. And uh, oftentimes there's non-monetary concerns. For example, just what is, how safe are you going to be dealing with your counterparty? Some people want to sell, wipe their hands of it and be done and didn't realize that they still have legacy risk. So uh, there's one important aspect is just making sure the party you're dealing with is a good party so that they don't get you in trouble down the road. So trust is important. Trust, oh, of course, trust is yeah. always important. And most right. people would say, well, of course, that's obvious. You take it for granted. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, but you know what? I've seen a lot of transactions where the deal, it could be a month later, actually went bad. And, and I know of a particular deal that I was advising on to a well-known debt buyer mm-hmm. that will go unnamed mm-hmm. and a well-known bank that will go unnamed. And it was, oh, about six months later, they were both suing each other mm-hmm. because of how the transaction was structured and the lack of disclosure. So it can happen to the best of them. But when, when, I take, when I talk about structure, it's about more of a partnership type of transaction, right. understanding what the seller is trying to accomplish more so than just saying, well, here's, here's a bucket full of money. Right. Um, there's a transaction that we did where the seller was trying to actually improve their balance sheet. And they didn't need liquidity. 
And so since they didn't need liquidity, how could we help out their balance sheet? And we found a way. Without giving them cash? Without giving them cash. Okay, that's so, interesting. Yeah, so yeah. we found a way. We worked with our uh, tax and, and other experts and accounting experts and came up with a way to purchase a product at a price that was frankly higher than what it was worth but structuring it so that they could take full value of that on their financial statements, while from a cash perspective, mm -hmm. we actually were not paying that higher price. Mm -hmm. And that type of structure in the, in the end won us that particular transaction because we solved for the problem. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so, so what were the details? That was it, like an earnout? Then you didn't pay much up front. Ah, uh, well, I, I don't want to give away state secrets, but uh, we want it, state it, secrets now. Come on, state. Well, no, no, certainly <laughs> no. It, it was, it was not an earnout. It had to be a guaranteed okay. deal, a or out, or else under, um, you know, accounting principles, you can't recognize it. Right. Now, I, if if we start talking about accounting rules, your audience is going to go to sleep really, really fast. So, I, I'd rather yeah. go back and talk about the fun stuff, which, right? Right. And one, before we talk about more fun stuff, um, you learn from Arthur, uh, I guess, the art of negotiation. And at the same time, though, in the beginning of our conversation, you said he chewed through people. And I know your management style, and it's not that at all. And I'm wondering, is there still, though, a, a, um, a blend when you negotiate of having the right technical negotiation skills, but also the interpersonal skills and the ability to... Um, and, create trust between two parties. To me, you know, and we talk about at Flock being more than a transaction. Well, I think you need the relationship and the trust to have a transaction. And, and you certainly uh, have a, have a, a terrific, um, you know, management style and a great team at Vion. So you couldn't have built that by chewing through people. So do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. And, and uh, the one thing that Arthur really had for for people, and it, it, he, he always had a great phrase, which is don't put your head on their shoulders, but still create empathy mm -hmm. for their position. And okay. so you have to understand what their motivations are, mm -hmm. what it is they're trying to accomplish. And it is sort of negotiation one-on-one mm -hmm. that you know some people wanna take that very last penny off the table to make sure they felt they got absolutely everything they could out of, out of the counterparty. Right. Um, that's not my style. Mm -hmm. uh, my style is, style is far more collaborative. Uh, mm -hmm. How can we get to mm -hmm. an equitable solution? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's that's been sort of my reputation of, of going down and trying to say, okay, what's the problem? Let's try and figure it out together, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to, uh, you know, leaving nothing for, for the other party. Yeah, right. So it's gotta be win-win. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, again, a lot of people might say, well, the, oh. yeah, that's obvious, but yet I, I've spoken with a lot of, I'm working on a transaction right now, um, speaking with the broker. And he said, uh, you know, some of the other people they're talking to, they just don't get it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't get it, it's hard to go into a transaction and have somebody that will understand both sides of it and actually get something done. Right. But again, if they throw enough money at it, they're going to get it anyways. Right. But but there are other ways. There are better ways, I think, to do things. Right. Right. So the art of negotiation was one thing that you've learned that has made you successful through all these different uh, companies you've been with: Brianico, EMCC, OSI, now Vion. Um, anything else? Are there any other kind of personal traits that mm -hmm. you've developed and learned were important to your achievements over the years? Yeah, I, I think it always goes back to your mentors. So, you know, a lot of people say their parents were their mentors, and certainly my father um, was one of my mentors. He uh, 
came up through the uh, Great Depression, not not the last recession we've been talking about, but the Great Depression, mm-hmm. the, the big one. And uh, he held down many jobs in order to for for me to be able to go to college, and for him to do that um, teaches you a certain amount of ethos about needing to just hard work, mm-hmm. and nothing can substitute hard work. So of course, my dad instilled in me a lot of uh, the principles that are that are important to me. But then there are other people you you would never. These people probably have no idea they were a mentor to me. My freshman in college, English teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, my writing was simply atrocious. I don't, I don't mean what the appearance, the appearance is still atrocious, but the, the actual style, I, I had- The, the syntax, The grammar. syntax, the grammar, nothing. And this is a guy that when he walked in the classroom had you know torn jeans, hair down to his shoulders, Absolute. You had hair down to your shoulders? No, 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 no. The, the professor, <laughs> the professor, absolute hippie type, right? Okay. Um, and, but yeah. I was, and, and I was pretty good in school yeah. and I was going through and I was getting D's on my papers and I was just appalled. Mm-hmm. So uh, I spent a lot of time working with him. He taught me how to write mm-hmm. so that by the time I was done with his class, he actually had submitted one of my stories. I, I did a short story um, for a competition and ended up getting published. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was night and day. And, and yes, of course, I got a much better grade than, than the D that I started off with. Right. But that particular teacher. And then um, after law school, they don't teach you what it's like to be in a law firm in law school. And any of your lawyers who are, who are listening would probably say that. Maybe they do today. Right. They certainly didn't back then. And I was thrown into a large law firm Mm -hmm. where they don't really, when you learn how to write a brief, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you, in law school, you, you put everything in there in the kitchen sink. Mm -hmm. And I would, I was writing briefs and the uh, partner in charge, I was getting again, tons of red ink all over my paper. He probably would have given it an F Mm -hmm. and he taught me how to write succinctly. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he w- he was actually a huge mentor for me, and he has no idea. And and from there, um, my law partners and, and you learn something from everybody that you meet, whether they've been successful or not. Mm-hmm. You learn something from them, and I think I learn more from people who have made mistakes than from those who haven't. And I think you, I certainly have learned from my mistakes, so that I don't go and repeat those mistakes. And I certainly have had a, a number of mistakes in, you know, financial type transactions, but- Can uh, you share any of those with us today? Uh, no, I'd rather not. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm sure there's, you don't have to mention any names. No, no, well, look, I, mean, I, I the, agree with you. Mistakes are the best You know, the, there, you learn the, sometimes. There are transactions where the mistake wasn't in the analysis of the transaction. The mistake was in the analysis of the person your counterparty. This goes back to what I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Yep. So I was working with uh, some counterparties who I thought, well, you know, yeah, they're a little odd, but in the end, the the numbers play out. You know, the spreadsheets mm-hmm. looked good. Mm-hmm. And in the end, the person was not the right party. And so the transactions didn't re- really work out the way we wanted them to work out. Now, the ones that did work out far outweighed those that didn't. Um, and but when, you, when you say the person, do you mean it was like the platform and the company that they had, whereas you were underwriting portfolios, and so the analysis on portfolios was strong, 
But until you really got into the platform and the company and the, probably the founder of that person, uh, was that what you're suggesting? No, 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 not at all. It's, it wasn't it even, is, the, it wasn't the platform. We, it, we had the diligence, person. the platform. It was actually the person. Okay. The, the, the person was just flaky. Mm-hmm. And in the end, that flakiness mm-hmm. um, was something that we actually recognized mm-hmm. and uh, didn't respond to appropriately. But you learn from that, so you don't do that again. Right. And, and I'm sure, Michael, you've been around the block a few times too. Yep. You have to have dealt with some colorful characters that oh, you yeah. go back and you go, what was I thinking? Yeah, I, I know. I met a few. In fact, I think you introduced me to one or two of them. That we spent uh, in South Florida, I remember, with one of them, a uh, very interesting merchant, Castro Advance Company. And then the the founder leaves dinner with a, in a $400,000 Lamborghini. Right. Like, hmm. That's interesting. Well, you know, uh, that, that, so that, that's yeah. a perfect example where we learned. Mm-hmm. So we were looking at the merchant cash advance space and actually did some transaction in the merchant cash advance space. And we saw the same thing. Mm-hmm. People in Lamborghinis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I once got picked up in a Rolls Royce. Mm-hmm. And we said to each other, okay, if somebody <laughs> who's asking us for money right. is picking us up in a Rolls Royce or a Lamborghini or anything else like that, right. Um, we have to worry about their priorities. Right. And so we um, now utilize those sort of subjective things to say, okay, that's it. That's done and move on. Right. They're, in fact, they're, we know those transactions actually get done. Mm-hmm. I don't know if those transactions end up being good ones or bad ones, but it's one of those, you know, life is too short. Right. Like I, I was um, approached with somebody who wanted to do uh, a transaction in Ukraine. That is where life is too short. <laughs> Literally, um, yeah. In fact, another good story going back to my Schottenstein days is there was uh, there there are only a few companies in the world, paper companies, that manufacture currency. I believe there are seven, or at least back when I was looking at it, there were seven companies that manufacture paper for currency, mm-hmm. and one of these was located in Serbia, and there was the you know this war going on there at back a while ago. And the uh, party I was representing wanted me to go with him to uh, basically Croatia to uh, negotiate a deal between this company and Bank of England. And I said, okay, but then I hung up the phone and called my insurance company Mm -hmm. to see if something were to happen to me with a life insurance actually pay out. Mm -hmm. The answer was no, because it was a known war zone. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, and this is, this is back in the days when everything was by fax, to give you an idea, you know, a little bit of age. Mm-hmm. And I said, why don't you go and, you know, I'll stay up during your time zone and we'll do the deal um, over the phone and, and I'll, you know, fax things to you. And he calls me up and he says, hey, I'm in the bunker mm-hmm. with the president and we want to get this deal done. And we actually did the deal while he's in a bunker because he was at the day I was supposed to fly in, the airport got bombed. Mm-hmm. And so wow. um, that's the life is too short. Yeah. Just to take um, any type of risk for the sake of an additional dollar. Right. But um, it does provide for good stories. It probably would have been a better story had I gone over there. Right. But that's okay. You might not have come back. Well, <laughs> there's always that possibility. Yeah. So I guess the common denominator here is uh, there are intangible things that can't really be analyzed, um, you know, mathematically that uh, even though they're intangible, they have tangible risks and tangible 
kind of negative consequences if you don't. Yeah, I, th I think I used to discount some of the intangibles and the subjectives right. uh, early on. Yeah. And as you mature, you begin to realize that those subjectives are oftentimes more important than even the objective, you know, financial side of a transaction. I think so, yeah. The people decisions are usually the most important, I think. But it's easy to not see that because we all love finance, we all love analysis and graphs and charts and things like that. So it's easy to forget that. What, what other lessons learned have, have you had along your journey? Um, and how, you know, you're big on mentoring, uh, or, and you're thankful and grateful to have had mentors. How are you mentoring people at, at Vion, for example? And how have you taken lessons learned along your journey and, and transfer them to your team? Well, let's make it clear. I believe everybody has an obligation to mentor those that they work with and those that are looking to them for leadership. It's just something that we need to do, um, whether they be your contemporaries um, or younger generations. And so I, I think it's important to make sure that you don't have to have total control. You have to have good people that you can trust and you can say, do this and then stand back and let them do it. So empowerment. Empowerment, you know, it's just a matter of being how hands-on or hands-off do you wanna be? You know, I, I'm a big believer in this book called Good to Great, which yeah, you I've probably heard of. Yeah, and great and there are, there's what's known as a level four leader um, who can be very, very successful. And uh, I believe the um, uh, the chair, well, ex-chairman of Chrysler was one of their examples. Mm -hmm. um, Iacocca? Was, yeah, I, yeah, thank you, the Iacocca, um, was uh, termed a level four leader. Right. Very, very successful while he was there, but once he was gone, mm -hmm. all sorts of problems. Then there's a level five leader who really relies on those under him to, or her, mm -hmm. to make him or her look good right. and to bring about success. And I try to be that type of person. So it's really, you know, my success is only because of the people under me, mm -hmm. but I try to learn from them. I think they mentor me in many ways mm -hmm. and, and they have, they, mm -hmm. they basically have said, Hey, you know what? You're not very good at this. <laughs> let and, me help you. Yeah. Yeah. Let me help you. And, and, yeah. and at first your, your knee jerk reaction is, Oh, who, who are you to tell me what I'm good <laughs> at? Uh, you work yeah. for me, not the other way around. Right. But in fact, they're right. And so I think it's important for a leader to be able to shut up and listen, which mm -hmm. I still to this day maybe have a hard time doing. Mm -hmm. But the, um, it, it, I have learned a lot from those people who say, if you'll just shut up, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and sometimes they'll actually use those words, mm -hmm. um, and listen, then we can tell you where we're coming from and why we believe the way we believe. And over the years, um, I've learned that, yeah, you know, they, they have a particular vision too, which can also be coherent with my vision. And, but the other part of what I've learned in terms of life lessons is you have to believe in your soul mm -hmm. and for what, in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe in it in yourself, how do you expect others to? Mm -hmm. And so when I go to my uh, investors and ask them to give us money for a particular transaction. You have to treat it like it's your money mm -hmm. and that you believe in it. You're willing to invest in it yourself mm -hmm. and you have to fight for it. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not willing to fight for it, who is? And we fight internally. You know, my, the other people admire myself. I mean, right. we fight right. um, in a healthy way. Yep. We'll argue about whether or not we should do a transaction. And the way at Vion, the way it works is 
uh, we have a committee mm -hmm. and any person on that committee mm -hmm. can veto a transaction. Mm -hmm. And if they veto that transaction, it doesn't get done, mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. I can't override the veto, mm -hmm. it's done. Mm -hmm. That's empowerment. Yeah, another word for what you're talking about fighting, and I've seen this too, is grit. <laughs> grit, the perseverance, the the uh, the sheer um, you know adrenaline to get through obstacles. And in your life, tell us about more of the ad adverse circumstances, things you've overcome. Then was it your your belief in yourself, your your own vision? Because um, how, how, you know these markets are tough, and, and you know we grow our companies grow never in a straight line. There are always ups and downs, and sometimes we learn more from the downs than the ups. But so, how do you get through this, Stacy? Because I know you know both our firms take great risks with great different kinds of asset classes and there are moments where, you know, they're not happy moments because we're disappointed. Yeah. How do you get through that? Well, many, many people would say we're counter cyclical, right? Mm -hmm. That um, we need a bad economy to mm -hmm. be successful so that we can uh, acquire certain types of assets. Mm -hmm. um, I think what we need is actually an economy that fluctuates. Mm -hmm between good and bad and good and bad, mm -hmm. more like a, um, a, a typical sine wave than something that is sort of static, either at the high end or the low end. Right. But in terms of, of getting through, um, it comes back to that belief that we talked about. And uh, I'm gonna use an old cliche, yep. and I apologize up front. But there, there are the, the glass half empty people and they're, they're the glass half full of people. Mm -hmm. They're the optimists and the pessimists. Mm -hmm. What are you? I'm definitely the optimist. Yep. I, I always think, that the next big deal is just around the corner. And, and it's not that I'm saying that to instill anything in people, it's because I believe it. I always believe the next day is gonna be a better day than the, than the prior day. And you, you have to go through life that way, I think, or, or you just end up putting yourself in this little cubicle mm -hmm. of sorrow and despair. And so when, when we take a look at this most recent cycle, there are things to do. You just have to be willing to rethink yourself. So I think one of the things that Vian's particularly uh, adept at is we rethink ourselves every single day. So if you take a look at some of the, um, the bad debt buyers out there, uh, until recently anyways, all they did was bad debt buying. Mm -hmm. No, nothing wrong with that, right? You have a homogenous product. It allows you to get financing. You can maybe go public, or as we know with many of them are public, and you can um, uh, really reduce your cost and become very uh, efficient. Um, and we're sort of the exact opposite of that. We don't really have hardly any platform at all. We like having very low overheads that mm -hmm. we can go into different niches. Mm -hmm. we're, we're really um, looking, we've done oil and gas, we've done healthcare, we've done auto, we've done medical, we've done so many different things in the commercial and the consumer side. So you're very diversified. We're flexible. Mm -hmm. You know, you can call it diversification, but that's not really true. Opportunistic? Yes. Yes. Very opportunistic. And some people see that as a negative. Well, and that's that's fine that's for That's the glass half empty. <laughs> well, no, I mean, yeah. it's just there. They look, there's different ways of brewing success. Mm -hmm. We believe ours is being opportunistic, taking advantage of situations that others haven't seen yet. Right. Uh, and which we were able to do with um, some energy transactions. Other people discovered it, came yep. in, flooded the market, yep. and boom, the the um, the profit went down. And when the profit went down, we exited. Mm -hmm. So that's not being diversified. That's being opportunistic because mm -hmm. being diversified would mean we're still mm -hmm. there. Right. And I was just trying to connect a few dots here, Stacey, because I think that uh, when you talked earlier about uh, 
tomorrow can be always be better than today and there's always a better opportunity is is that does that kind of reflect your vision uh along the journey that you've had in our industry when you saw the charged off debt market being threatened by you know some economic forces regulation uh, and I know you were encouraging folks at DBA to start looking outside of the traditional debt buyer markets uh, and going into performing uh, asset classes, which were bigger and uh, maybe more recurring cash flow that was more stable, maybe higher um, returns as well. Is there a connection there? Uh, in a way, I, I think it definitely requires some sort of vision. And your vision doesn't have to be, I want to take my company from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. The vision is what you want your company to do on any given day and making sure that those working with you share that vision. So you you mentioned DBA. Mm -hmm. We knew changes had to be made Mm -hmm. um, with CFPB coming in, Um, but it wasn't even CFPB that started those changes. It was Mm -hmm. really the OCC Mm -hmm. and how they affected banks and and how banks were looking at debt buyers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when we think about, if you think about change, as really being the constant, instead of the static mm-hmm. being the constant. It gives you a little bit of a different perspective. So you always have to evolve. It's, and, and I'm not the first person to say evolve or die, mm-hmm. but that's what I believe. You're, you're, you're evolving your business every single day into something else. Let's take marketplace lending, right? A couple of years ago, the lending clubs, the Prospers, right. um, were just scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. And now there are these massive disruptive types of businesses. And as you look at even Bitcoin, mm-hmm. another disruptive type of business, right. there's a lot of disruption out there. Right. Disruption- Is the can, new norm? Well, yeah, yes. I think yeah. disruption is the new norm in part because of uh, technology, uh, globalization, but disruption provides opportunity. Some people would say disruption yep. is going to cause the death of certain industries. Mm-hmm. No, it's just an involvement mm-hmm. of those industries. We've seen lenders going to people like Lending Club and saying, hey, be my back office for originating these loans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's an involvement. These right. people said, hey, look, I can't compete with the Bank of Americas of the world, yep. but now with this type of platform, I can be competitive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there, and, and there are different types, and we've seen some players like Garrison being uh, yep. you know, big um, um, investors in uh, companies like, Lending Club, or, or actually the assets yeah. Lending Club creates as opposed to Lending uh-huh. Club itself. Um, but that's just one example. And you look how fast it moves. So you had a Lending Club and you go overseas and now you're seeing copycats there. Right. And there are hundreds. Mm-hmm. And if you've been to any of the, um, oh, I think, I think is it Lendit and yeah. some of the others yeah. where- I, I saw you there last year. Yeah, yeah. There, there are these types of companies that are evolving mm-hmm. every single day to try and fill a need. Mm-hmm. So- there are companies out there that are trying to fill needs for consumers. And our job is to try and fill the need of those who are trying to fill the needs for the consumer. Right. And in the end, it always comes down to money. Mm-hmm. And how is that money going to get out the door in a, an efficient manner and still in a smart way? So you're essentially saying you're looking for opportunity in the change and the disruption. Where is that opportunity both for the consumer and for your investors? Is that right? Well, yeah. Yeah. So... If, if you think about the, um, the consumer and the types of consumer products out there, mm-hmm. there's, and, and you got, yes, you have a FICO score ban and we'll right. use FICO as, as right. you know, talking about, but 
you know, when we talk about subprime and then there's super subprime, you have the tribal lenders out there mm -hmm. who are right, constantly, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not necessarily payday though. It started out that way, but now tribal- Consumer cash advance or- Well, yeah. yes, but tribal lending is itself evolving into mm -hmm. more of a, a traditional mm -hmm. lending business. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when these industries start, mm -hmm. we see a lot of knee-jerk um, reactions from the enforcement agencies. Right. Rightfully so in many instances, by the way. And people learn from that mm -hmm. and they change their, their procedures. Mm -hmm. The bottom line here is if you can take a look at what the CFPB is trying to protect against mm -hmm. and say, okay, we're going to embrace that. Mm -hmm. And now how do we do our business no matter what the business is? Mm -hmm. So that in the end, we're protecting the consumer and providing the consumer disclosure. And a lot of what the CFPB is looking for is mostly disclosure. Mm -hmm. If something is disclosed to that consumer, then the next step is, okay, can I make money doing this? As opposed to, and, and there's, I know there's been a lot of focus on interest rates and that's certainly something that's also important, but uh, it, it's about compliance. And that's one thing we look forward in anybody we deal with is how compliant are they, right. and what is the compliance risk we face mm -hmm. in doing business with them? So you think then, I don't wanna oversimplify it, but there are some good things that the CFPB is doing for the industry in promoting disclosure uh, relative to consumer data and so forth. Is that right? Uh, I, 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 <laughs> I, I pause because um, uh, I believe that the way the CFPB has gone about it uh -huh. um, is probably not the best way to do okay. it. Uh, the, the the way some of the regulations have been enforced before they've necessarily been promulgated right. uh, is is a problem. Yep. Um, I think in the end, the their goals mm -hmm. are justifiable goals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The um, the means by which they get there are not ideal. Well, they're they're no, they're not ideal. It's it's a still a new organization, and yep. they themselves are trying to find their bearing. Yep. And. I think that there are people there with good intentions. Mm -hmm. And we have seen uh, some of these audits go through just fine mm -hmm. the, way they're, the way they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. So I, I think in, if you, look, my, my bottom line here uh, also as an attorney is if you let me know what the rules are, mm -hmm. then I can play by them. Right. Just let me know what the rules are. Yeah, and don't keep changing them. Yeah, yeah well, look, change the rules, that's fine. Just give us notice right. and then go ahead and change the rules and right. we'll figure it out how to change the rules so everybody can still compete. Yep. It's when you're not quite sure what the rules are mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you really have uh, a you're problem. Par you're paralyzed. Well, yes, you are. Yeah, yeah. And and, and I think you've seen that happen with the banks as well, oh, um, waiting years right. to get some guidance on certain right. uh, things that affect their, their consumer business. Yep. You mentioned that you were inspired by uh, Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. Uh, what other books have inspired you? What are you reading right now, matter of fact? <laughs> um, I'm actually reading a science fiction book called Ready Player One. Um, <laughs> Ready Player One, what's yes, that? Yes, uh, it, it's uh, a, well, it's, it, so um, my uh, friend, I'll call him a mentor and uh, co-employee, Neil Brodsky. Oh, Neil, sure. You know Neil. Yeah and a lot of people, your listeners will know Neil, told me about it. And, and you'll notice I, you know, he's, he works for me, yet I called him a mentor because he teaches me things, right? Like what? <laughs> we don't have that much time. <laughs> uh, okay. But uh, with uh, Ready Player One, it's a story about um, a, I'll call him a kid, mm -hmm. 
who uh, is playing this immersive game called Oasis. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, interactive where you like put on a visor, you're actually living in this world. Mm -hmm. And the goal is to find an Easter egg, or I should say an egg. Mm -hmm. um, and an egg is a piece of code that a programmer has left behind mm -hmm. that nobody knows about mm -hmm. um, and to release it. Mm -hmm. And so um, his goal is, well, him and there's lots of others, uh, goals to find this egg, because if they do, they inherit the mm -hmm. creator's wealth, mm -hmm. which is like $260 billion or mm -hmm. something like that. So I'm reading that, but before that I was reading SPQR, mm -hmm. which is a history of ancient Rome. Right. So I, I, I liked it. And, and so I, I've gone and taught a few classes and- Histor went, History? No, no, actually financial. <laughs> financial, I was gonna say. Ancient <laughs> but, Rome to, okay. Yeah, ancient Rome. But um, in those classes, you know, people ask me, what is the number one thing I can do uh -huh. to be better at what I do? And it's read. Mm -hmm. I don't care what you read, mm -hmm. read constantly. I tell my kids this, they might be listening. I read for them, knowledge read. or read for enlarging your view of the world or actually reading can improve your writing sometimes, I think. Well, yeah, of course. And writing's about, important. Well, but... growing, growing up, and, and this is something, um, growing up as a kid, I was a voracious reader. Mm -hmm. I read, and so I don't know if you remember the scholastic books that mm -hmm, you know sure. you, you go into your yeah. class in grade school and right. you put in your order for books and you get them. Mm -hmm. And so the class had to have so many books ordered in order to have an order go in. Mm -hmm. So the other kids and the whole class would mm -hmm. order, let's say, I don't know, 10 or mm -hmm. 15 or something. Mm -hmm. And I was ordering like 30, mm -hmm. just myself, right. um, which my parents probably didn't like paying for but I read every single one of those books and, and I still like to read uh, a lot. So when I um, graduated law school, uh, another thing that Arthur uh, taught me, yep. and this is why I called him a mentor. I was his outside lawyer, right? And outside lawyers, they say, hey, here's a contract, do the contract, write it up, you know, negotiate the deal, period. You're, you're done, you mm -hmm. get paid for that. Mm -hmm. He said, why don't you come with me to my conferences, mm -hmm. so you can actually learn the business. Mm -hmm. Why don't you read the trade periodicals so you can learn the business? Mm -hmm. And over the years, he taught me the business, mm -hmm. not the law. Mm -hmm. I understood the law, mm -hmm. but you can't be a good lawyer without understanding your client's business and really understanding what's important to them mm -hmm. and what isn't important. And I can't tell you how many times I got into negotiation with really expensive lawyers. Right. And they wanted to argue about commas and periods and stuff. And I thought it was such a complete waste of time. And I just wanted to hit them over the head with a stick. Yeah. Because that wasn't getting a deal done. Right. They weren't deal makers. They were deal breakers. It's interesting. So it's really the soft things that maybe are hard to learn, and but yet important to the bottom line. Right. And that gets back to what you were saying earlier about the people. The mistakes you made were due to the people, not the analysis of the financials correct, and the the components of the deal. It was the person you were dealing with and right. maybe a lack of trust or sh not shared values, is that it? Yeah, yeah. Th th let's say I wanted to invest in, I don't know, business radio studios. <laughs> and okay. what I would do first is find all the business publications I could mm -hmm. on business radio studios mm -hmm. and try and read up on those. Mm -hmm. I would talk to lawyers in the field, lobbyists in the field, so I can understand the government side of things. Mm -hmm. it's, it's understanding the periphery mm -hmm. that allows you to focus on the center. Mm -hmm. And without that 
knowledge, I just don't think you can be as effective. Mm -hmm. you, look, you, there are still plenty of successful people out there that probably don't read anything. Right. Um, but, but it's it, for me. Yeah. For me, it's important. Mm -hmm. Oh, and one other thing, I almost forgot. The other thing that I thought was really important is most people know I don't mind bogarting a mic, right? I mean, I, I, I speak a lot. Um, and if you just wanted to go get a tea or something or a coffee, I could just sit here and, and talk <laughs> nonsense for a while. Yeah. But uh, I learned that in retail. So um, again, you know, my family didn't have a lot of money growing up. So I had to do odd jobs and shovel driveways and so stuff door to door and all that sort of stuff. I, and, oh, that's another story I'll have to get to. But I sold shoes and I sold men's shoes uh, for a long time. Now, men were really easy, mm -hmm. right? They would come into the store, not selling Floorsheim shoes at mm -hmm. the time. And mm -hmm. they would say, I want this pair and this pair in brown and in black. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that was the easy part. Now, where I got the extra commission was by upgrading them to buy shoe trees and mm -hmm. shoe polish. That was worth right. a buck each. The accessories. The accessories. The aftermarket. The yeah. aftermarket. So um, I learned how to talk to people and understand what they were after by selling shoes. Mm -hmm. I then uh, went through a very unpleasant period where I sold women's shoes. It was, um, they would want to see 10 pairs of shoes. Mm -hmm. The shoes were half the price and sometimes they'd buy nothing. Right. Um, so uh, I went back to just men's shoes, but it paid really well. So back then, and oh, I, I don't even want to date myself. It was, let's see, I was born in 63. I was like uh, 15, 16 years old. Mm -hmm. And I was making about $12 an hour mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. selling shoes. And so, and I was working part-time and I was sometimes beating some of the salesmen there that were yeah. full-time. Yeah. Um, that sort of uh, upset them too. Mm -hmm. But uh, that was something that I think was really important for me is to learn how to do those types of things. And so I took that with me into college. Yep. And I remember I was in a fraternity and I went around with um, one of the fraternity brother and I, and we said, hey, why don't we sell shoes to people in the fraternity via a catalog and sell watches? And mm -hmm. my um, dad had a relationship with an old watch company known as Waltham Watch. And so we went down in the factory, I bought them at wholesale and I turned around and I sold them to my fraternity brothers and anybody else who I can sell them to mm -hmm. at retail so I could have some spending money in college. Uh, all those sorts of things, I think, help with you know just getting into a transaction, being able right. To talk You're learning to the economics of a transaction right there in the shoe store. Well, yeah. you already figured out the aftermarket. You know, <laughs> the shoe trees, the shoe polish. I mean, that's where a lot of money's made. Not not necessarily the shoe. Yeah, but it, it's just it's about talking to people. Uh -huh. And then uh, I still have difficulty today with the listening side. I mean, I I ha you have to listen to understand what people want. Right. But I listen and I immediately know what I think they want, right? And so I want to jump in and tell them as opposed to, wait, let me hear the whole story. Mm -hmm. It's hard to wait to hear the whole story. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you wait for that whole story, you, you can actually figure out what it is they need and, and, and fulfill that need. We're about to wrap up uh, the show and also the, the uh, year of 2015. Stacy, what are your New Year's resolutions? What are you planning to do next year <laughs> for you and your buy-on? What What's the resolution? Well, the, the resolution for me uh, personally, as opposed to business, is I um, took up running a few years ago. I have, uh, I'm running something called the Dopey in January, which is four races in four days, including a half marathon and full marathon. If I live through that, 
that will have already fulfilled my resolution for the year. So okay. uh, that's that's, awesome. that's just that's a awesome. personal, and, and I'm never doing that again. Yeah. Uh, my, my wife signed us up for that. She's doing it as well. And I think she's also probably, on the mind. she'll probably never do it again either. Um, and we haven't even done it yet. Um, so, but this personal goal for me is um, a, a little bit of uh, fitness mm -hmm. and to uh, not let the little things, mm -hmm. you know, gnaw at you. Right. And I'm still always the optimist. Mm -hmm. So as I apply that to the business, yes, things are slower now. And I think they're slower for everybody, or if they're not slow, they're at least not as profitable, they're more difficult, but you have to believe. Mm -hmm. Oh, it reminds me of, it's a great, you know what? It's Christmas time, right? Mm -hmm. And there's the Polar Express. And you remember the ticket that was stamped in the boy's hand as he's leaving the North Pole. Do you remember what it said? No. I think uh, it said, believe. Am I right, Red Hawk? I don't know, actually. Uh, I, I gotta <laughs> go revisit that movie this year. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm, 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 I'm yeah. getting a nod believe. elsewhere. Yeah, okay. so, so I, it's, I think it's believe. Yeah. And so- uh, That's it, synonymous with passion? You have to have passion. If you, yeah. have passion, if you don't have passion to do what you do, you why are you believe. doing it? Right. right. You have to do what you love. Right. I loved being a lawyer. Right. I really did. When, when I grew up, as I was growing up, I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer. I used to always watch Perry Mason and all mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. I also wanted to be an astronomer. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of eclectic tastes, mm -hmm. things that I like to do. Uh, you know, I would love to teach. Mm -hmm. uh, and once I retired, you know, my goal is hopefully to, to teach a class about on entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Because I believe in the end, we're all entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Because we're, if you think about yourself as being an entrepreneur, you're always reinventing yourself. You're always reinventing your business. Yep. That's what we have to do right. as, as businessmen in a world that's changing as fast as it is, it's to be an entrepreneur. So as I look towards this coming year, um, and if you're asking for my predictions, which have not been as great of late when I think about the economy, because <laughs> I, I kept calling for a recession by now. Mm -hmm. uh, we haven't gotten it. But um, uh, my, my predictions are simply that there will be opportunities out there. I think we're gonna see um, some distress. We see it in the bond market right now where mm -hmm. bond yields have certainly widened. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, energy sector has caused a lot of distress and that distress is going to cascade down. It's just a matter of how long it's gonna take. Mm -hmm. There will be deals out there mm -hmm. and uh, some certainty in uh, on the regulatory side will also help. Mm -hmm. And there's still gonna be a future for those of us in the business, it's just gonna be a different future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a tough, challenging year, but a different one. And the glass is half full. Or more. Yeah, and we believe. Well, we're gonna have to wrap it up, Stacy. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon, your words of wisdom and mentorship to our uh, to our many listeners here. It's worth what they paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck in, in 2016, and we'll get back soon for another interview with Stacy Schachter, uh, CEO of Bion Investments. Thanks, Stacy, And thank you. This show is brought to you by Flock Specialty Finance. To learn more, please visit flockfinance.com.